Well, um, well, that is quite the thing to pop up on the screen right after you pray about offering. Anyway, uh, I got to figure out a, a landing slide. No, um, I'm, I'm actually uh, continuing. So if you uh, spent some time with us last year, uh, and when Ben gave me the opportunity to preach, I, I've been preaching through the Sermon on the Mount. And it was just a pure coincidence, it's not planning on my part, because that's not in any way my gifting, um, that we ended last year and finished out Matthew chapter 5. And uh, in doing so, we made it a third of the way through the sermon. And so we are going to just continue to plug our way through uh, Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, and maybe by the end of this year we can get through Matthew chapter 6. I don't know. Uh, but if you would turn your Bibles this morning to Matthew chapter 6, that's where we're going to be this week and actually next week. Uh, I will be sharing again. And as you do, I want to just give a little brief recap of, of what's going on. And if, if you've been around the Sermon on the Mount with me, you've heard this and you're going to go, okay, we get it. But um, it's been a little bit of time. And the first thing is, is we have to remember that this sermon, Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, it was given in one go. So Jesus didn't do like we do where we give, okay, now this week's part one, and then I'm going to go away and have lunch and do my week and come back and do part two. Uh, he gave Matthew 5 through 7, the Sermon on the Mount, in one sitting on a hillside to the same group of people. Uh, they didn't even come back, so the same people were there the whole time, most likely. Uh, and, and Jesus identifies in this sermon that members of the kingdom of God are those who, through Jesus, have been made righteous before God, and, and so having been made righteous can now live out the fulfilled law in their lives. And this is just like, what is Matthew 5? This is the bulk of it. Uh, and he told them, uh, towards the end of Matthew 5, the beginning of the sermon, that their righteousness, what they do, the way they live their lives, it needs to exceed the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees. Uh, and so in their day, these were, at least on paper, and as we're going to see today, the most righteous. They, they were the, when you thought of, man, what does it look like to be righteous? The scribes and the Pharisees were what most people had in their brain. And so kingdom citizens are called to exceed that righteousness, and we are also called to be perfect, as our Heavenly Father is perfect. And we get to that and we go, well, shoot, how? And we said that that is only fully realized, it's only actually possible to attain that righteousness and to even be viewed as any sort of perfection in the eyes of the Father through the person of Jesus Christ alone. It's the only way. And honestly, um, I mean, it's 9-10, that, that could preach. We could call it that doggle hunt. Uh, and those gathered on the hillside probably heard that, and they probably went, okay, this is a lot, and, and I'm challenged. And, you know, and Jesus goes to take his breath in between uh, Matthew 5:48, You therefore must be perfect, your heavenly Father is perfect. And they go, whew. They stand to get up to go, and he's, he keeps talking. Because he's not done. This is just the introduction. And so now he, he's going to get practical with them. How, how does this work out? What does it look like? How does it feel? Um, to, to live in this space where we're, we're trying to live this kingdom life in a world that is not yet fully seeing the kingdom. And so because Jesus keeps speaking, we're going to keep reading. Uh, Matthew chapter 6, starting in verse 1 today, uh, it says, Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people 
in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you give to the needy, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret, and your Father, who sees in secret, will reward you. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites. For they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room, shut the door, and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty praises as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them. For your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. And then for today, we are going to skip down to verse 16. We're going to revisit 9 through 15 next week. Verse 16, And when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces, that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head, and wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for who you are. We thank you for your goodness. We thank you that you have given us Jesus and his words. I just pray that as we um, focus in on this next section on the Sermon on the Mount, that we would... We would look at ourselves first, that we would be um, open to how the Spirit is moving us to, to maybe make change, maybe make uh, improvements in areas of our lives as we seek to worship you more. In your name we pray, amen. So Jesus, um, <laughs> unlike many of the teachers that this group gathered, remember this group is, is primarily misfits, they're the poor, the sick, the needy, um, those who have been told, hey, there's not really a place for you here, you need to get out. They have grown accustomed to, to all of these things that Jesus is describing. And so when Jesus begins to teach these and he says, hey, your righteousness needs to exceed that of the scribes and the Pharisees. The people are like, okay, so I'm used to this. I'm used to being told I need to do, do and do all this stuff. And like I said, I think they like, were ready to get up and go. Because there is this break in, in thought. Jesus kind of transitions to a new thought. But what's different about Jesus is he gives them a practical, like, here is what this begins to look like. He, he gives them a, not a template, but a, here's the next step, guys. And I don't think they were used to that. I think they were used to hearing, you need to go do this. Y'all go figure out how this would even look. And so Jesus is going to give them practical things that this is, that this is going to play out in their lives. Um, and that act of practicing and living out their righteousness is based on the righteous position we have in Jesus. And that act of, of the, anything that we do is from that position. It doesn't get us that position. Our salvation and our position before God is, is through faith in Jesus Christ alone. 
But the way that we live after that and the, the spiritual things that we might do, all of that is called religion. And if you hear that and, and in your brain you go, well, I've, you know, I've heard like, it's not a religion, it's a relationship. I get it. And, and yes, it is a relationship with God through Jesus spent now with the Holy Spirit in our lives. But the things that we do to grow in that relationship and to grow spiritually closer to our God, anything that we do, that is religion. And so religion is not bad. It's a tool that we use to grow closer to our God. It doesn't make us right before God. Jesus alone does that. And that's why Jesus, after he says, hey, y'all need to be righteous, you need to be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect, he goes on to give three spiritual practices, pieces of religion to do. Ways to live our religious belief. Doing things so that way we may grow closer to God. One of these focuses on us and the people around us. The next focuses on us and God. And the last focuses on ourselves. What do we need to do? And with these, Jesus is going to give warnings regarding hypocrisy. Warnings about how we practice the religious life. Because as with most things, how we do something is often just as or more important than that we do it at all. So Jesus here is going to be concerned with how we are doing a thing. And when we start to talk about hypocrisy, it is probably the number one reason when you talk to people and you say, oh, you know, do you go to church? <laughs> Where do you go to church? And they say, no, it's not really for me. And you go, oh, you know, why? Well, you know, 10 years ago, I was in a church, and it was just so full of hypocrites. This is so common. It's one of the number one reasons that people give for not going to church, not returning to church, or not trying church in the first place. It's also one of the big reasons people leave church. It's full of hypocrites. And while I think sometimes, not always, but sometimes that claim comes from a place of there was a problem and I, I, I don't know if I want to deal with it right now. Or it comes from a place of I can tell that something's about to get real uncomfortable if I keep pursuing this, so I'm going to go over here. Not always, but sometimes. But while that's the case, what we do know is when it comes to our religious lives and our spiritual lives and the way we interact with our God... Jesus has nothing good to say about hypocrisy. He's like, no place here. We, we got to stop. And so he introduces this new section of the sermon. And he kind of comes out swinging in verse 1. He says, beware of practicing your righteousness before other people. To be seen by them, for then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. He has just spent a portion of his sermon telling them, your righteousness needs to exceed that of the scribes and Pharisees. And these people might be in their brains going, okay, now what can I begin to do? Oh, I could probably go over here and help this person, and, and enough people will see it. And the next thing he says is, now when you practice that righteousness, don't do it in front of people. Don't worry about who's going to see you. Just practice it. When you practice righteousness... 
kingdom people don't do it in a way that, that is, is so others will see it. Now, others might see it, but we don't do it with that as the goal. Because when you do, Jesus says your reward is found in the praise you receive from those people. He says, you have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Because your reward has already arrived through all the attaboys. <laughs> Jesus is calling his followers and members of the kingdom to a consistent religious life. Consistent religious life. Or, it, it's this desire for others to see um, and praise you. This is what Jesus is saying. He's like, if, if you're doing this righteous stuff, and you're doing it so others will look at you and praise you for your righteousness, that is, in and of itself, an act of unrighteousness. <laughs> That's kind of what he's getting at. And so Jesus is going to give us, again, these three disciplines um, of a spiritual life. Uh, and these are not an exhaustive list. There's more disciplines, spiritual disciplines, that people can do, but he highlights three. Uh, and, and in doing so, he's going to give them a warning about how they can avoid that inconsistent spiritual life in doing them. And so the first is giving to the needy. He says, thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly I say to you, they've received their reward, but when you give to the needy, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Before I talk about this, I, I will... I promise you this is not a message on giving. Um, Jesus, though, does say, when you give to the needy. He does not say, if you give to the needy, or, well, if today you feel like giving to the needy, and thus you do it because you feel bad, or when you give to the needy and everybody sees that you've done it and you feel really good about yourself, he just says, when you give to the needy. He expects them to be doing it. He's skipping right past the, okay, these are the three things you need to do, and he's going straight to, whoa, whoa, no. How do you do these three things? Because he's assuming they're already doing them. He says, when you give to the needy, and a lot of times, I think in our brain we have this idea of giving to the needy as, as giving to charities or giving money and, and handing five bucks to the guy on the side of the street. And, and while that is a form of giving to the needy, it is much more. It's a lot more than that. And we can tell from Jesus' words regarding how we ought to live because he is speaking to a, a Jewish audience, these Israelite people primarily gathered before him. And in the Old Testament, when the Old Testament describes this act of someone giving to the needy, it's not just money. It's food, services, loaning property for use. Here's my ox, go take it. Lending aid. So, in other words, giving your time. These are all under the umbrella of giving to the needy, the person in need. I want to also remind you that most of the people gathered there, they don't have money. <laughs> They're poor. And so if Jesus is purely speaking about giving your money, that's a little calloused. Because these people are probably going, I mean, I, I, I wouldn't mind if maybe someone would give to me right now. That'd be kind of great. But Jesus tells them, those people who are in need themselves, he says, 
Y'all can give to the needy. And he tells them, when you give, don't sound your trumpet as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets to be praised by other people. And if you hear that, can you imagine, um, real quick, so we're all in here and, you know, you put the slide up about offering and we get ready to pray. And after we pray, somebody stands up in the back, just honks their horn and is like, look what I did. If that happened, we would, you, you yourself would be so embarrassed for that. You'd be like, oh my goodness, like what is going on? It would bother us, even as the people not doing it. It's attention seeking. And if someone did it, it was like, what is their deal? Like, that's not how it works. And if Jesus says, if you claim to be the people of God, and you seek credit or praise or attention for your giving, money or otherwise, you're a hypocrite. Or you look a lot like the hypocrites. A couple points uh, to carry forward. This first insinuates that the motives of kingdom people, people changed by Jesus, cannot be self-aggrandizing. We don't do what we do so that way we look good. That's not the point. Kingdom people ought need no more motivation than for God to be honored and the name of God to be praised. That's it. That is our sole motivation. So if you are giving to honor yourself or make yourself feel good and you claim kingdom citizenship and you claim a life changed by Jesus, that doesn't mean you're not a citizen. It doesn't mean you're not changed by Jesus. Jesus just says, you might be living a little bit of hypocrisy in this area. The word for hypocrisy in the Bible it, it, it is related to a person who acts, like an, an actor on the stage. And it's, it's referring to someone who is trying to make a group of people believe something about them that is not real. That's what the word technically means. And Jesus says, yeah, you're trying to not only like fool yourself and the people around you, but you're attempting to fool God in this. You're acting and trying to convince people of something that isn't even real. And so this term hypocrite, when they hear this and the example Jesus gives, I think the people on this hillside, when he says, and they stand up and they toot their horns in the synagogues, they go, I've heard that. I know exactly what a hypocrite sounds like. Literally sounds like. The people on that hillside knew all too well this experience of someone giving and then, ah, look what we did. And they're sitting there going, well, a penny. <laughs> I guess I'm out. Jesus calls it for what it is. He says these, these scribes and Pharisees that do this, they're hypocrites. You're saying one thing and doing another. Third, Jesus doesn't say, well, to those gathered and to us today, since these hypocrites do this and that and the other thing, you should completely have nothing to do with it. He doesn't say, get as far away from the hypocrites as you can, never look back and don't talk to them. We can go back to what he says about loving your enemies on that. No, 
He says, don't be like them. You might still be around them, but don't be like them. Or don't let a person or a poser or a hypocrite ruin the good thing for you. And while it can be difficult to imagine someone standing up in the back of church and tooting a horn to show how much they give, how often do we, maybe even just to ourselves, toot our own horns? We may give money or otherwise and go, man, I I hope someone at least noticed. Like, I hope they notice how much that was. I hope they notice how much I gave up for that. I was so generous. I hope someone acknowledges it, or I hope at least, at least they know. Jesus says if we look for earthly praise in our giving, you've got your reward right here on earth. And you will miss out on the reward and the delight of the Father. And so if you hear that and you go, well, how can we avoid this? Like, how do we avoid that? Jesus gives advice. It's a lifestyle shift. It's a change in mind. It's a change in what we care about that is going to make this change. And he says, don't let your right hand know what you give with your left hand. And you go, these, these things can't think for themselves. Jesus is not, he, he knows how the body works. Um, it's a turn of phrase. Jesus is calling for a real heartfelt charity that gives so impulsively and so out of a moved heart of charity toward another person that it gives, and it's like, wait a minute. And this is not just like willy-nilly, I'm just going to do whatever I want with the resources God has given me, but it's so unconcerned with being rewarded that you don't take a second to go, uh, nobody's going to like, yeah, no. It's, it, it could care less about any recognition. Yes, here you go. Yes, I will help you. I'll be there on Saturday. It's it's a charitable heart changed by a charitable Savior. That's what produces this, this change. And it's not instantaneous. We don't just like go home and say, okay, God, I'm going to do it. (laughs) I'm going to change this. It takes time. It takes practice. That's why it's religion. We, we play it out and we practice our righteousness. That's how Jesus began this. Practice your righteousness. It takes time and practice. And that's okay. Because while we might not be keeping track of our own giving in this, we might not be going, okay, yeah, check the box, and I did this for that person. Jesus says our Heavenly Father doesn't miss a bit of it. He knows. Because He is our standard of righteousness. He sees it. And he is our reward. And, he conti- and Jesus continues from here to address spiritual practice and warn against hypocrisy by saying, when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into a room, shut the door, and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, don't heap up empty empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. Notice again, Jesus assumes the people of the kingdom are already praying. 
It says, when you pray, it's expected. Kingdom people are praying people. And he warns them by telling them two things about prayer. First, you don't do it to seek attention. Same as the giving. You don't do it to seek attention for yourself. He says, don't do what the hypocrites do. Because they get right, they get right in the middle of the busy street. And they, they position themselves right on the corner. So that way everybody's going to see. And it's going to stop what people walking this way. And people walking this way. And right here is where I pray. And when I do it, I do it really loud. So that way nobody can ignore me. That's what they're doing. And Jesus says, stop it. <laughs> That's not the point. You can't miss them praying. Because like the trumpet tooting of those who give the shouting of these prayers, they want attention for themselves. And Jesus corrects this. He says, the person of the kingdom can and should be able to pray anywhere without anybody knowing about it. We can and should be able to pray anywhere without anybody knowing about it. If you want to talk to God, Jesus says you'd do better if you need this to focus. You would do better to go shut yourself in your room, close the blinds, lock the door. Because at the end of the day, it's about focusing on your God. And if people walking around is distracting to you, do what it takes to make yourself focus on God. Quit worrying about whether they're focusing on how much you focus on God. When you're talking to your father, you're doing so to connect. You're not doing it to impress anyone. <laughs> people should maybe even not even know that you do it sometimes. Jesus has more to say about praying. Uh, we're going to do that next week. It's a lot. But he also tells them, number two, uh, so the first thing about prayer is uh, uh, you, you don't do it for, for the recognition of others. The second thing is you don't heap up a bunch of empty words. Uh, and, and he says don't do this like the Gentiles do. And as we've said at this point in history, the term Gentiles, whenever Jesus tosses that one out there. It's not with contempt for this people. He came to die for them. Like, that's not his goal. But he's doing it because these hypocrites and these scribes and Pharisees, they look at the Gentile people with this kind of like, I'm better than you. I'm so much better than you. We're God's people. How's it feel? And so when Jesus says, listen, when you heap up empty words like the Gentiles, he's kind of going, hey, there's a connection here. These scribes and Pharisees, these hypocrites, they're, they're kind of like these Gentiles, right? And there, there's nothing that the, the scribes and Pharisees hated more than, than that connection. <laughs> it drove them absolutely bonkers. And this isn't the first time that Jesus kind of hints at this. And it's not because he has contempt for the Gentiles. He's using an assumption that they already have in their culture to show them how ridiculous it is. Jesus says, if you think the Gentiles can, can better communicate with whatever God they're choosing because they have all these long phrases and they have beautiful words and they create new words so that way they impress their God. He says, if you think the Gentiles are ridiculous for that, if you're praying in the middle of the street corner, shouting while you do it, you're not any better. Like, 
kind of doing the same thing. That's what he's trying to get at. There was one thing, like I said, the Pharisees hated more than Jesus calling them hypocrites. It was being equated with Gentiles. And at this point, the point is this. God doesn't need you to pray aloud in public. He doesn't need you to have the right phrase or fancy words. It doesn't matter. (laughs) He wants you to pray to him. The point is connecting with your God. Despite the words. Our Father wants to connect with us. And I I don't think there's a coincidence that Jesus has introduced in this sermon, this now, he started calling this idea of God, he starts using the word Father more and more. He wants to have that relationship as the key component in this prayer life. Um, Sometimes, and... For those of you who have had a conversation with my daughter, uh, sometimes when she talks, she's chattering. Um, and she's just, it, 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 you can't tell what she's saying sometimes. And it's fine. Because you're connecting with her. Even if you don't understand all the words. God wants to connect with us. Even if our words are angry sometimes, it's okay. The point is that we're we're drawing closer to our God. That's the goal. Because God already knows what you need. That's the other thing Jesus says. He's like, listen, he's got it. Like, he he doesn't need the the list. He knows what you need. And next week we're going to revisit that. If that's the case, what's the point? Like, why are we praying? That's... That's a whole other bit, and that's why we're doing it next week. Our Heavenly Father knows us and desires us to seek Him so that way we will know Him more. Not our own praise. Prayer has no place for credit. And so finally, Jesus transitions to to the last spiritual practice by saying, when you fast... Do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces, and their fasting may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they've received their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head, wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Again, it's the same pattern. When you fast, it's expected. And while the most common version of a fast, both in their day and ours, uh, like when we think of it, it, it is a, a fast dietary fast. where you, you, you eat less or eat a different diet or you cease eating a certain thing completely for a period of time. Um, but a person can fast from all sorts of things. Media fasts, all sorts of stuff. And the point is this. When you fast, it is less about the thing that you are giving up and more about the thing that you are doing in the time that you give up. So if you say, okay, and more power to you, I'm not there, but if you say, I'm going to give up coffee. Every moment where you're like, normally I would have my cup of coffee and instinctually I'd have it, Instead of that, I'm going to be over here spending time with my God. 
That's the point of fasting. Otherwise, you're sitting there with empty hands going, be nice to have a cup of coffee right now. <laughs> like, fill the time with something that makes you draw closer to your God. That is the point of fasting. It's less about what you give up and more about what you do in the space that you open up in your life. And the hypocrites, the people who claim to be people of God and often don't look like it, they complain about their fasting. They screw up their faces. You know, oh, I'm so hungry. It's been awful. I've only been drinking juice for six days. Like, you know it. <laughs> when, when hypocrites fast, everybody around them knows about it. And people are like, we get it. <laughs> we get it. Jesus says if you're going to fast and you really want to go deeper with it, you should seek to make no one even know that you have even thought about fasting. Totally unaware. In fact, he says, wash your face and put on a clean shirt. Like, anoint your head, wash your face. Tidy up a bit. So that way when someone sees you, they don't go, man, he's looking rough. I bet he's fasting right now. No. <laughs> he says, take care of yourself in the middle of the fast. So that way when someone sees you, they go, hey, just another day. Because to you, it, it might be the biggest like, thing that you've done that week to connect with your God, but you're not looking for credit from other people. So he, he says, anoint your head and wash your face. Put on a clean shirt. If you, were, if you use your fasting so that way others would say, wow, <laughs> look how hungry they are. That must be tough. He must be really close to his God in that then you've missed the point of it. Because you should be doing something in that time that you've opened up. If you make your fasting about growing nearer to your father, your father is your reward. You get to draw nearer to God. And in all three of these spiritual practices, we learn something. That, that our spiritual practices involve our, spiritual, our personal spiritual lives. They're things that we do personally. But they, they play well with the people around us. In our giving and in our charity, our brothers and sisters, our spiritual lives affect the people around us. It affects our God and our prayer. We draw nearer to our God. And it affects our own lives and our own ability to be disciplined, such as fasting. Because when we have our motives in check and we practice our righteousness in a way that focuses on the Father, Jesus tells us the Father holds our reward. And so if you've heard this and you go, okay, Jesus is talking a lot about rewards here, uh, but I, like, I want to hear, hear about that. What's the reward? Uh, tell me more about that because that sounds pretty nice. Uh, and what I have to tell you is this. If the praise of man is the thing that gets rid of this reward in some way, Number one, it's not salvation. We can, we can, I can tell you that right now. It's not what he's talking about. No, once you have that, nothing can take that. <laughs> so, but if the praise of man can like diminish this reward, it would seem that the reward then is just the delight of the Father. God, looking on what you're doing to draw nearer to him and care for the people around you and going, yes, you're getting it. That's what a person changed by Jesus looks like. It's praise from God. 
and is the approval and praise and sense of having made our Father proud of us. And if you hear that and go, okay, but like that, that, feels, that, feels, like, that feels like a cop-out a little bit. Um, I would just have you think of, of a child, a kid, who comes to the knowledge that they have made their parent proud. They love it, especially when that parent lets them know. It's not cheap. And, and I believe that as we seek this, as we seek to care more about receiving this, this delight from the Father rather than the people around us, I think we're going to find that that praise and that delight, the way the Father looks at us in that way, it's so much sweeter than a real quick, hey, good job. See you next week. It's a reward. The parent delights in them as they delight in the parent. That's the image of the father here. Knowing how we live our lives, regardless of if any person around us could ever possibly know that this is a thing that we're doing in a way that seeks only to care, have I honored my God today? Have I drawn nearer to God? Have I shown what the love of Jesus looks like to a person? When we have that as our reward, and we draw near to the Father, we, we, we find him. And he delights in us. Because when we've been made right by Jesus, the King, and we've been pronounced right, we're called to practice that righteousness. He doesn't say, good job, you've made it. Now, go do whatever you want. That's not what Jesus tells us. He says, no, now we get to practice some things. Go deeper. Become more acquainted with our God. And if in doing so we find ourselves motivated by anything but the desire to have others glorify our Father in heaven, Jesus says that there, you might have some hypocrisy there. And he doesn't say, well, you have some hypocrisy out of the kingdom with you. No. He says, no, 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 no. Stop it. <laughs> You can, you can work on practicing and making this change. Hypocrisy that we see, whether it's in our lives or in, in the folks around us, it's frustrating. It's like, shoot straight with me, please. Stop it. And like I said, it's one of the main reasons that people claim that they don't go to church or don't want to get involved or, or even don't even become a Christian. But remember this. Jesus says, listen, we all, we all have this inclination within us. We all have a tendency sometimes where we live out this hypocrisy. He doesn't say, get away from it and go away. He says, no, no, no. Change. Stop it. Don't be like that. Don't continue to do that. Jesus tells us that the consistent religious life then will have a true reward from the Father in heaven. Or as Jesus, he he's indirectly asking them this question, where do you want your reward from? Do you want it now? In a high five? In a, hey, good job, I saw you do that. Thank you for telling me about it. Or do you want it from the Father? Who sees in secret, he knows. As Jesus is going to go on to say later on in his sermon, where your treasure is, there your heart is also. The thing that you care about 
that you hold as the most valuable thing, that's where your heart's at. And so far, if our heart and our, and our treasure is on, man, just I want the name of the Lord to be praised. I want people to know about Jesus. I want them to know the love of God. Our heart's going to be there too. It follows. And that treasure, that, that reward, it is made possible through the person of Jesus Christ. He, he's our only hope.